Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Everything you need to know about San Diego Comic-Con is the video today, but first, some travels uh, are underway. Jimmy's going to be at the Jacksonville Public Library October 22nd for a zine festival, and he is the man of the hour there, man. Going to give a talk and going to present all of his works. Going to be super cool event, uh, Baltimore Comic-Con is the genesis point for Cartoonist Kayfabe, and uh, we are going to be out there in daredevil fashion uh, October 28th through the 30th. Come stop by, say hi. You will not miss us with the setup that we put together. You ain't going to miss us on that, on that convention floor. And I'm going to be at Tokyo Comic-Con sharing a table with Uncle Jeff Darrow November 25th through the 27th. So if you are in town there, swing by, say what's up. And if you are out there in Tokyo, let me know what, what's good out there, what's going on, if there's any cool art shows or anything like this. Cafe Pilbert is still underway, and these are your prompt lists. Uh, saw thousands of images come through the past two weeks, uh, as of this recording session, and uh, cannot wait to see how you guys stick the landing towards the very end of, uh, of the month. Hashtag us, at us, tag us in images so that we see the stuff. We will share as much as possible. We've been traveling a little bit, so we weren't able to uh, keep up on it every single day. But we're going to do our best. Vids are brought to you by the comic books that we make. The stuff I have out right now is Red Room Trigger Warnings, Red Room the Antisocial Network. Each of these books completely self-contained. Get them while they're hot. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit. Jimmy has Hulk Grand Design Monster and Madness, which is going to be getting a uh, beautiful Treasury Edition format in early 2023. And the Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive reprint, collecting all of the Image Comics, uh, Street Angel Comics, are uh, it's out in source right now. Without further ado, Jimmy, there's a new book out uh, by Fantagraphics, See You at San Diego Comic Con. There was a video that we did it was like a you know like a kayfabe weekly or something and i presented that as like one of the things that i uh listened to there was a serious xm oral history of san diego comic-con hosted by brink stevens and it was fucking incredible you know they got the guys you know they got they they got barry alfonso and uh they got you know stan sakai and Scott Shaw and Mark Avanier, all these dudes to uh, to add some weight and their own experience to this podcast, you know, six parter, something like that. Uh, I think I, it's Comic Con Begins. I, I, yeah, and, and the guys who put that together, Matthew Clickstein, like that's the dude. So all of that work that he put into that podcast is collected here in, in book form. My big sort of complaint it was a huge complaint was that we didn't know who the fuck was talking <laughs> a lot of nerdy dudes yeah well like it's like we knew right i know what mark Avenier sounds like but does joey Jerkoff, who's clicking through xm uh serious does he know what standing sakai sounds like does it matter uh i think it does and i've listened to enough audiobooks of oral histories where it's like you know bill murray says chevy chase says doesn't get redundant Obviously, that's taken care of here, but there's several books that uh, sort of go through the history of San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, here's a 40th anniversary book that I don't even know who put this out, but it came out through Chronicle, and it collects a bunch of ephemera and gives you like a cursory history. 
of San Diego Comic-Con, you know, from the 70s on forward. The Ray Bradbury stuff is pretty funny. Some of these guys who would show up early on, uh, I think I think Bradbury might have been one, but it also might have been Isaac Asimov. Uh, their rate was very, very expensive. And one of them was like, you know, if it's a non-profit, like I can... Bradbury. Was it Bradbury? Mm. Yeah. Well, according to the podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've been brushing up on it this week, so some of this stuff is fresh. Yeah, that's that's the origins of uh, the, the non-profit. non-profit status of San Diego Comic-Con. And thank goodness for the comic book people that when you set up a non-profit, there's a charter that's associated with it, and you have to abide by that charter or else you don't have the, the tax exemption uh, that is afforded to you by having a non-profit, which is a long way for me to say that if that shit was for profit, there would be no space for Fantagraphics. There would be no space for Top Shelf or Drawn Quarterly. They would be very happy to fill that area with some fucking, with OnlyFans.com, uh, <laughs> you know, I was gonna say more Transformers promo. Very, very specifically, I remember, like, when we lost Dylan Williams, he was, he was near the, I always thought of us as, like, 300, you know, like, like, like the fucking Spartans, dude. Because it's Fantagraphics, Drawn Quarterly, uh, uh, Top Shelf, and it's, like, little... Bermuda's Triangle Mm -hmm. in the middle of that shit and then there would be these like little vestige little veins You know, it's the main artery. There's little veins to the side Dylan Williams is right there And we lost him and he was there for a long time and we lost him That next year suicide girls. Yeah, is who took that space and I was so fucking it felt disrespectful, you know for sure Uh, So we're very happy that they're a nonprofit because they have to keep bringing they have to allow that space for there to be some uh, comic people, actually. All these Comic-Con books, it's such a good fodder for a book because oh, yeah. it lends itself visually. From badges to photographs, there's just so much like visual information to make these books really pop and be fun just to flip through. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that this book is now obsolete thanks to the Fantagraphics book, but the Jackie Estrada book, I think she put it out through Kickstarter, is just an incredible tone to have because we don't know what these what everybody looks like you know who the big ones look like you know what jack kirby looks like here's there's the man right there yeah but i'll never get sick of looking at photos of him totally but like whatever photos you've got of jack kirby share them right but it's fun to but see did you ever know what cc beck looked like no i didn't that's, i didn't it's very true the uh the one of the things with the comic-con history is how much some of these heavy hitters added to the legitimacy of it like when yeah. kirby comes to the west coast it kind of realigns everything whenever he signs on to this kind of thing like you've got your michael jordan spokespersons you know sell, selling comic-con right and especially for like a fan started organization you know that's a real legitimacy when you get the pros pros to show up and, and talk well about it so you you freshly listened to some of that uh comic-con docu- documentary uh podcast one of the questions that i always had was like what's the tipping point how did how did hollywood sort of invade and one of the illuminating things was that it always kind of was there yes and it was based on maybe star trek fandom and in that in that documentary they sort of cite the fans as bringing that show back like the fact that there was that it got syndication and the fact that there's like New next generation shit there were fan petitions and a lot of that was spearheaded through the fandom of 
these specific Comic Cons. Yeah, they talk about having you know science fiction included in there in the beginning, uh, which of course would pave the way for Star Trek and Star Trek fans to uh, to also show up at Comic Con. Right. And uh, it's it's in hindsight, it's really interesting how that stuff has played out. Yeah. You know, for as much as Comic Con has changed in a lot of ways, it was always built that way. Yeah. And then it started to get exploited more and more, like to to those ends. Chuck Norris would show up <laughs> early on, and and then I think. I think Ghostbusters received a lot of promotion yeah. through Super 19, like the early 1980s. So it was always there. Very forward thinking on on a on the part of somebody like a Ghost Riders, whoever's pr promoting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that was the norm. I remember my first Comic Con, and I can't remember the year exactly. Probably early 2000s, and there was just a giant trailer, like a tractor trailer, just the trailer park parked there, and it was like Transformers on the side of it. It was before. It might have been before they had done anything, hardly, except they knew it was coming out in a couple of years. So park a freaking trailer in the middle of the floor. <laughs> I uh, I think my first year was um, Scott Pilgrim year, though that doesn't feel right. Um, but I do remember seeing the imagery of just like that vinyl signage hanging off the side, like a, like a skyscraper wrapped in an image of Michael Sarah with the guitar bending over. Yeah, that makes sense. They would always decorate all the buildings with those gigantic prints. And I would sit there and look at them and think, like, is that $80,000 right. for that print? And if you get there the day before, it's like it's going up pretty much the day before Comic-Con opens. And if you're there Monday morning, it's down. Yeah, so, dude, we, we were just at this convention. And the second that the show wrapped up, they're breaking down tables. The second, like, I picked up my box <laughs> as somebody came over and took that table, broke that shit right the fuck down. Yes. I, uh, I went to um, Comic-Con a couple of days early the last time I was there in like 2015 uh, to be a part of the, you know, choose the great, the best retailer of the year award. And uh, I went to the same place for breakfast every day. And Monday and Tuesday, the breakfast cost one price. On Wednesday, which is that preview day, mm -hmm. it went up 50%. <laughs> $10 breakfast turned to a $20 breakfast. Uh, supply and demand, right? <laughs> a, lot, so, a, lot right. Of, a lot of demand on Wednesday. So this is that new book put out by Fantagraphics. Uh, full disclosure, Fantagraphics, publisher of the greatest cartoonist in the world, including myself. So it is my humble publisher who, who put this out. And like I said, man, uh, the Sirius XM podcast that you may have listened to or may not have, uh, a lot of the, the transcription is included in, in here, plus a whole lot more. And the... Uh, off the bat, the graphic design of this thing, perfect. They did everything they could graphically to give it that fanzine feel, but keep it extremely legible. Mm -hmm. So you know you're kayfabing it. You know you show the type, uh, the the typewriter paper, but you have a, just a, the perfect font chosen to maintain legibility. You know we're not gonna we're not gonna go full ham and like make dittos of every single page of this and then scan those in that would be too much i have to i have to hope that that was an early draft and you're like let's make it more accessible right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah can you imagine reading 500 pages of this with like if it was like a light blue yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh in in the same way as the, the other books uh all the all the photos that you saw this thing is rife with with imagery and it's beautiful imagery is so crisp the paper choice that they used 
is fantastic for the subject matter. Like, look at that, dude. That's pretty fucking sick. And then you have kind of color blocking so you can get to specific. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that design feature. I, it takes advantage of the edge of your paper yes. to actually function. I don't know that this will be the last time we look at just this book because I could see us doing an episode per chapter. Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. Now, that sounds daunting when you look at it this way, but the type is big and readable, and there's a lot of imagery throughout. A lot of I think I think you know you could get through a chapter in an hour or two. Bill Shane's like, so the first part is the characters, and and it's just mini bios on on different people who touch the industry. It's really interesting too because it's Comic Con is almost used as the uh, I don't want to say a MacGuffin, but a device to sort of talk about fandom, comics growth into other media. You know, like Comic Con is kind of the the central line that runs through it, but there are a lot of other ideas about how these things spread uh, throughout and permeate our culture. So you really do get like the Shanies and stuff. Like you get this background on Pacific Comics, direct market, creator rights, like all these different pieces that contribute to the growth of this. It's, it's really interesting in that way to me because it is a historical book beyond Comic-Con. Comic-Con's oh, yeah. great, but I mean, this is really uh, taking into account Comic-Con's role in the bigger comics history part. And just and just pop culture in general. Right. I mean, whole Hollywood companies, they, they promote the next year's worth of stuff at San Diego Comic-Con. Valiant Comics, John Hurts. I think that's a different Valiant comics. I think so. Early 80s. <laughs> I think Valiant was uh, what we know then. Lee Morris, we just saw her this weekend. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting seeing some of these people that have been around comics for decades and decades, like, and you get to track them with a book like this. Absolutely. And Lee Morris, West, West Coaster. Right. You're going to get a lot of West Coast imagery here just because... That's what you use, local talent. You know, you need a flyer, you need a sign, you need anything. You're it's going to cool. go with whoever's nearby. It makes me so glad that we asked uh, Jim Valentino Comic-Con specific questions uh, when uh, we interviewed him because he was there. He was one of the kids. He was one of Sheldorf's kids. The scene is the second part. Yeah, anytime we talk to old-timers who, who did go to Comic-Con decades before us, it is fascinating to hear how that how that evolved. Right. And everybody's there. Everyone you can think of, there are pictures of them at Comic-Con. Absolutely. Like, people you wouldn't expect crumb, you know, like, like <laughs> people you would not expect to be a part of this. I hope we see that image. There. He's, like, literally falling asleep at his yes. table. And then, guys, Ray Harryhausen shows up, you know? Dudes like that. Miss Trina Robbins, we just saw her this past weekend also. Yeah, another another lifer in comics. It's wild to see these people too whenever they're 30, 40 years younger because like I've always known Trina, you know, she's always been however many decades older than me. Yeah. So to see like pictures of her younger than me, it's like, oh yeah, she's been here from the beginning. For sure. The plot, this is probably the sec the section that starts to get into uh the Ray Bradbury stuff. Like, look, man, you got Forrest Ackerman, the creator of Famous Monsters of Filmland. You could imagine he would be a big part of that. Big player in this uh, in this origin, in this history. Forey. Uncle Forey. Uncle Forey at the Acker Mansion. That Clay Geards guy plays a part in a lot of the photos. A lot of photo credits to him. Matt Groening is a young young uh, cartoonist. Way before Simpsons. Yeah, it's fantastic. In 1985. You know, they've done such a good job, Comic-Con, over the years of really bringing everybody in and representing comics from, you know, virtually every side. Absolutely. Like there will be, there is the section where the mangaka come, 
you know, in, in the Jackie Estrada book that we looked at, there's there's the whole bit. You see Go Nagai. You see Monkey Punch. Yes. I was looking throughout that book, and it doesn't have that photo. You know, it's Jackie Estrada's photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a photo out there with, with Kirby and Tezuka in the same flick. And that's, you know, it's fantastic. Look at the bros, man. Yeah, man. So much attitude in that photo. Yeah, there's a range of, like, how nerdy you look in the photos. <laughs> Those <laughs> dudes are not on the nerdy side. No. Sherry Flanagan, man. She was super important to me, Trots and Bonnie, uh, because she's she's in uh, Comic Book Confidential. That's the other thing, as you read a book like this and as you get more into comics history, the crossover, you know, like, like the same names are appearing in all of these places, so it's almost like you're just filling out who these characters are the more you read different sources. Ken Casey. Yeah, what's he doing there? There was something, like, I swear to God, like, Timothy Leary was was uh, in, in the photo. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who did stuff with Timothy Leary, because I feel like that's a name that has been referenced in comics and different things, probably underground stuff. I would say, I would bet. Um, and I think he's written intros to stuff. Like, I think he wrote an intro to Robert Williams' book we looked at. One of my dad's favorite actress, Sybil Danning, from The Howling. Yeah, supposed to be the star of Black Diamond that uh, never quite came to be, but AC Comics did publish uh, tie-in comics. That is right, man. <laughs> cool that, Paul Galassi covers on there. Makes sense, man, that uh, that Warren Beatty would promote his Dick Tracy flick at San Diego Comic-Con. Absolutely. <laughs> that art, I feel like, sums up comics. <laughs> <laughs> Big Daddy Roth, dude. Captain Sticky, that's a name that comes up, and it comes up a lot in um, in that podcast, I feel like. I seem to remember. But this is a book that's fresh out, gives you the full scoop on San Diego Comic-Con, the history, the people involved, who made it, what it is. Uh, a lot of those people still still associated in some uh, some sort of exact way you know like like they're still fully involved very strong bonds jeff smith's intro to this um you know he kind of talks about comic-con through the lens of like this is his family and and he and he gets there from just a couple of first couple of years of going there and uh the way he was received and treated by everybody and that's the sense you get the other thing the other group i would recommend this to are people who love fandom there's a real sense of fandom in here, and a lot of these names, the organizers in the beginning, come out of that fandom history, so now you get it in their own words, Yeah. Um, as opposed to maybe recaps and, and biographies and things. This is a chance to hear some of these names actually speaking for themselves. Doing these big kind of oral history projects, you always have to have like that the more up-to-date shit. That's stuff I'm least interested in, and I like to see that the expansion is not as thick as the earlier parts. Very important, because... We know what it is, you know. You could write write the the, the book on uh, the current San Diego Comic Con later when you have more retrospective vision. Uh, but you got to have it in there, and it still seems like you know. I'm not seeing like just all Twilight imagery and Walking Dead nonsense. You know, it still it still has the players. Maybe that's in the future, right? There's uh in the beginning they're talking to the Shane's brothers uh-huh. about how they began. And it started out, they bought like 900 comics off of somebody for 50 bucks. And it was like old 50s and 60s books, you know, would have been, I guess, 
guess in the 70s, maybe late 60s. And within a couple of years, they were doing hundreds of thousands of dollars of mail order out of their parents' house. Yeah. <laughs> and open up their store while still in high school where they, they had their classes loaded into the morning so they could then bike to their store and open it at noon yeah. each day. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, that's the history that I love. For the early comic retailers, that's the move, man. I encourage everybody to uh, check out Bob Beerbaum's posts on, on, on Facebook. And, you know, he would talk about uh, going to these shows, flipping some comics... Uh, one of the recent posts. Yes, I just saw one. I bet I know what you're going to say about buying original art. Twelve hundred bucks, hundreds of five pages. dollar Ditko Doctor Strange pages, complete stories from Neil Adams, five bucks a page, and he bought all that work, and they basically hitchhiked back home because they they put in that investment and they put all the money that they made at the convention to buy all this art. Barry Windsor Smith pops up in the comments. How did how did so and so get hold of that's, uh, Jack uh, Kirby pages? That's the thing. Like you read about, he lists like who he bought these pages from, and it's not Steve Ditko, and it's not Jack Kirby. You know, it's some editorial people from Marvel. Like it's, it is. Uh, there is that dark side of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I don't know how you'd resist that artwork. You know, seeing Wally Woods and stuff like. And there's just not information out there right then. That's you, true. You know, like. They, they didn't know that they were complicit in stuff. And the way it works now, people shut their ma mouths about the fucking black market Jack Kirby pages and the right. black market Steve Ditko pages they have. Like, they don't show those off uh, to, to just anyone. And a lot of coverage of that in here, because whenever Kirby was trying to get his artwork back and was embroiled in that mess with Marvel... San Diego Comic-Con was a battleground for it. Yeah. Because you had all the parties there and you had people wearing the shirts, give Kirby his art back and stuff. So it, it's fun to think of Comic-Con with those moments too, yeah. you know, where it was a chance for everybody in the business to get together and talk about some of these issues. That's the fun part too, is like there, there's a lot of fandom, but it's also professional industry get together. Like where else are all these people getting together? You need the appendix to be voluminous. Like, you could have fucked up the whole game, dude, if you didn't have a solid-ass appendix for this book. And I think they did things right. They really did. This is this is a, a book that I always wanted to exist. You know, going to a couple of San Diego Comic-Cons, it's never fun enough a program to participate in for me to invest $1. So it's always nice when they invite me out as a guest. Uh, but it's so important to the history of comics to where things have grown. Uh, and I had so many questions. Those questions are answered in that podcast, in this book, and some of these other documents that we have from people who were there who could kind of tell the tale. This is a really great bookend, man, because at the very beginning you get young Forrest Ackerman, and then you get uh, the old Ackermansion in the back. That's a smart move. Yes. Reminiscent of that Kirby King of Comics where you see him drawn at the at the table in the inside uh, end papers and then you see the just the table at the back of the book fucking wild guy man so there it is dude see you at san diego transcription of the sirius xm podcast series with lots more information the geeks have won jim oh yeah the geeks have won it's a good time to be alive, if you're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> good to go? I am. Okay, Fabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy, tell the people what's out there, man. Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive is back in print from Image Comics. Eight complete full-color stories. Pick that up wherever you get your comics. 
and uh, Hulk Grand Design Monster Madness. These two issues are available in comic shops now, and the oversized collection will be out in stores in January, so pre-order that if you haven't already. It'll help Marvel know that we want more Grand Designs out there, and I don't want to be the last Grand Design, so pre-order that one today, and join me on patreon.com slash jimrug, where you can see a lot more of my art and comics, and download some of my out-of-print zines and mini-comics. Red Room Trigger Warnings and Red Room the Antisocial Network are out there in stores as we speak. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. Every issue completely self-contained. Each of these books collects four issues. Each book reasonably self-contained with 60 to 70 pages of extra material. I'm serializing new Red Room comics on my Patreon. Three bucks get you the archive there. Includes all of this stuff plus the new material that'll see the light of day in 2023. Just $3. Hit up my link tree in the description below. You'll be able to get to uh, all of these links. What else do we have out there, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, fanny packs, and more at our spread shop at the links below this video. Another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Given those marching orders, we'll be on our way. Make more comics.